You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But who in the world are you, O man, who talks back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does the potter have no right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honor and another for common use? Now what if God, willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath designed for destruction? And what if he did so to make known the riches of his glory on vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? Even us he called, not only from the Jewish people, but also from the Gentiles. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not loved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of B'nai Israel be as the sand of the sea, only the remnant shall be saved. For Adonai will carry out his word upon the earth, bringing it to an end and finishing quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless Adonai Zavaot had left us seed, we would have become like Sodom and resembled Gomorrah. Thank you, Kate. While we were up there, uh, I know that Rabbi David preached from Romans chapter 9, uh, verses 14 to 23, and we are gradually and very slowly meandering our way through these chapters. And uh, you might ask, why are we taking such a long time to meander through these chapters? Well, I really am glad that you asked. Um, it is very definitely foundational uh, for us in a Messianic Jewish congregation because it lays out the basis of our vision, but in lots of ways it really is much more than just a, uh, uh, a portion of scripture for the Messianic Jewish community. I know my friend Tom Melton, uh, who had been the founder and pastor uh, of our host uh, church at Greenwood, told me that he struggled and had sleepless nights uh, over, uh, over this section as he was preaching through it. And uh, I know God was convincing him that maybe God was not finished with Israel. I know that's quite a concept, but... Uh, um, so part of the issue when we read sections like Romans chapters 9 and 10, uh, it is difficult for us to get our arms around because um, these chapters don't give us the 10 easy steps for how to have absolute, joyful, successful life uh, in any and every area. Um, in other words, it, 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 yes. we who are impatient and want to say, uh, let's get down to brass tacks. What do I need to do? Um, have a hard time sometimes in this section uh, because the primary focus of these chapters is not about you and I so much, but it first of all is about God, okay? Which means 
that we have to put ourselves off um, to one corner for a while and say, what do we need to learn about God? Uh, who is God? What does he do? Um, and, and this is not a matter of great philosophy and great theology, but rather, folks, it's been my experience that people who lack a basic <clears throat> degree of balance and security in their thinking about the world and to think about themselves do so because they really don't understand who God is. And because they really don't understand who God is, they really don't have a clear grasp of how they fit in his overall scheme. And so we're spending a lot of time talking about this out of the deep, deep, deep conviction that as we get our arms around who God is and what he does, that we will be uh, clearer in our understanding of where it is that we need to fit and what it is that we need to do because we will have a clear grasp of who God is. So <clears throat> last Shabbat, Rabbi David talked about the Lord is a God of mercy, mystery, and compassion. Um, and when you think about that, that too is hard for us to get our arms around, isn't it? That God is merciful and compassionate. Why? Because I imagine if we were to go around, and this is not an invitation to psychobabble, but if we were to go around and ask uh, each of us what kind of experiences we've had growing up with our relationship with our uh, parents, particularly our fathers, we would find more often than not a bunch of us have had what I would call father issues. In other words, uh, dad worked hard. He got up and went to work and did everything sometimes. And, uh, but more often than not, had absolutely no clue how to connect with us lower life forms, i.e. the kids. Uh, my father was one of those examples. And so when we talk about God being full of compassion and being full of mercy, reality is, folks, we have absolutely no clue how to relate to that. Because for most of us, God is uh, foreboding. Uh, he is harsh. Uh, he is what some have called the celestial Scrooge. You know, that he sees you having fun and he says, cut it out. Um, and furthermore, when you are having a hard time, God basically stands off to one corner and says, uh, sink or swim, it's really up to you. And so the notion of God being sovereign, in other words, being in control, and being merciful is not something we can easily get our arms around. So like the imaginary um, person that Paul talks to in, in these verses, um, a lot of times we come and say, God, uh, I really don't think that you're just. 
at least not according to my standards of justice, whatever they're supposed to be like. And particularly as we read uh, these statements, statements about Pharaoh where God's, where we see that God says, I will harden whom I will harden. And we have this notion that God looks down at some people and said, you go up, you go down because I'm having a bad hair day. And so uh, I'm going to send you to, to, you know, down there. Uh, which is where people get the, what I consider the, the wrong notion of double predestination, which simply means at the beginning of time, God looks at some folks, I, I like you, you're going to go up, I can't stand you, you're going to go down. Um, and at least for me, I don't see that as something that the Bible teach, teaches. Rather, uh, People end up in hell not because God chooses to, to send them there. Why? Because he's merciful, folks. He's merciful. That is the essence of who he is. And whatever took place with Pharaoh was an exception. And by the way, as you read the text carefully in Exodus, you'll see that there was interplay between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and God hardened his heart. In other words, he basically was saying, okay, you want to go this way? Go this way. I'm going to use your stupidity, Pharaoh, for my purposes. Um, and so Paul continues this imaginary discussion and with someone who says, why does God still blame us? Uh, and Paul, like a first century rabbi, says to this imaginary person, knock it off. Who are you to talk back to God? Excuse me. Um, are you the potter or are you the pot? And uh, it brings to mind uh, discussions in, in the Bible, for example, where we have Job. And Job is a tough one, folks, for any of us. Because Job suffers. And it seems that there's no apparent reason why Job is suffering. Because he was a righteous man. And people broke their teeth over this over and over and over and over again. At the end of the day, God never comes and says to Job, Job, let me sit down and explain to you exactly why I did what I did. In fact, the Lord says to Job, Job, uh, by the way, uh, when I was laying out the solar system, um, did you look over my notes and my blueprints and did you tell me where to put uh, this, uh, this planet and this star? Of course, Job says, God, forgive me. I was stupid. Um, why? Because he had an encounter with God, and God didn't say anything to him. Um, and yes, folks, we all complain. By the way, complaining is a very Jewish thing. Uh, some of us have a PhD in that. Um, by the way, I, I was having a conversation with my dear sister earlier. Um, God doesn't have a problem with us complaining, folks. In fact, the Bible is full of complaint. 
the book of Psalms, read it sometimes, and David starts out saying, God, where are you? Who are you? They're coming after me to take bites. And as time goes on, he gets this out of his system. Then he says, oh, yeah, God, I remember. You've been around. He kind of, and by the way, just in case you wonder, Yeshua, our Messiah, complained. Did you know that? Um, so no shame in that as long as we don't murmur. And murmuring, folks, has to do with uh, slamming God and his character and believing lies about him. It's like the children of Israel said, God, you had nothing better to do. You got up in the morning. You had a bad hair day. You were going to kill us because you didn't know what else to do. That, folks, is murmuring. Complaining because of the heat and et cetera, et cetera, is something God can handle because he knows us. So when Paul says, why do you talk back to God? It isn't that we have no right to complain to God about, about life circumstances, about who we are, etc. As long as it stops with us not presuming to tell God what he needs to do. Because he is the potter and we're the clay, we're the pot. And as long as we remember, verse 23, I want to park there for a few minutes. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Paul is basically saying that God, because he's sovereign, because he's in control, has the right to make the choices that he makes. And so when we look at reality, when we look at things that are difficult, and God knows all of us go through difficult circumstances. I mean, none of us is born with a silver spoon in their mouth, right? Some of you are. <laughs> what, what Paul is saying is, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Is it you or is it God? And the focus that at some point in our life, we learn that what life is about It's not about us, but it's about God. And yes, we, ha we have legitimate needs. God knows our legitimate needs. He doesn't say to us, uh, I expect you to be totally ascetic and deny who you are, what you are. That's not the point. The point is, at some, some point in our life, as we grow spiritually, then what needs to happen is our focus shifts from who I am to who God is. And instead of thinking about what I'm going to do, the focus is on what God is going to do and how do I connect with what it is that God wants to do. That's part of the growing relationship with God. 
And somehow we get the fact that, as we sang earlier today, lo lanu, lo lanu, not unto us, not, not unto us, but to your name be the honor and glory. In other words, folks, when people look at us, what is our expectation? What, what is our, our passion? Do we want people to look at us and say, wow, look at that. Charlie is the coolest thing that ever walked the face of the earth. You know, or, uh, I, and I can go on and on. I won't embarrass anybody. Or do, do we uh, want people to look at us and say, wow, you, you know, I, I see that they have warts. I, I get the fact that they're, uh, that sometimes what comes out of their mouth is not absolutely luminescent and articulate and precise and clever. But somehow, when I look at them and I talk to them and I listen to them and I interact with them, there's something else that comes out that is very obvious that it's not just them, but somehow the presence of the Almighty, the presence of God is in their life. And that, by the way, folks, is not something new or unique. Remember that Joseph, uh, we've been talking about the parashot, and Joseph is in the house of Pharaoh, of, of uh, Potiphar, uh, the Egyptian, you know, with a zillion different gods. Uh, and yet, Potiphar looks at Joseph, and over a period of time, what is his, what is his conclusion? God is with this, with this skinny teenager Hebrew. Yes, he sees who Joseph is. Yes, who gets who he is. However, what comes through is a basic understanding, even for this guy who is a pagan worshiper of Ra and all the other gods, that the big god, the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is somehow with this, with this guy. And folks, that's, uh, that ultimately is the only thing that really gives us significant meaning. Because people look at us and sometimes they think we're cooler than sliced bread, you know? And I, over 30 years, I've had folks come and say, wow, Chaim, you're the greatest. And at the beginning, I used to, you know, get some yucks out of it. Over a period of time, I would see that the same guy who would come and say, Chaim, you're the greatest, several months later, would come and say, uh, you're not so bright, I'm out of here. So you kind of learn that self-affirmation, and you know, while you appreciate it, it comes and goes. And that ultimately what you really want is something that is substantial, something that has weight to it, and that grounds you, that keeps you solid and anchored, and that is because you're focused on who God is. And you learn that God is, in fact, merciful. You know, and, and you, you say, I'm not going to believe the lies that are peddled about the God of the Old Testament being angry God. 
I mean, Scripture is so full of examples of, of God's mercy. And I just read to you a couple of statements. Ezekiel chapter 18. Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from the ways and live? The same chapter. For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. Repent and live. In other words, don't be stupid. You find the same thing in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. And over a period of time, you understand the fact who God is. What is the big deal about that? Because, folks, it anchors you. It anchors you. It grounds you. It gives you security. Because you know God is not going to go, oops, I'm done with you. And despite the stupid things we do, all right, not you folks, despite the, the stupid, sinful, sometimes depraved things we do, we know that God is in there for the long haul. Amen? And Paul puts it this way, God demonstrates his own love for us while we are yet sinners. Messiah died for us. In other words, while we are his enemies. While we were his enemies, Messiah died for us. And sometimes I hear people peddle the lies about who God is and it breaks my heart, folks. It breaks my heart. Because I've come to know and understand the love of God. Not because I'm something special, but because He is. And so, like the rest of us, I've, you live long enough, you have gray hairs, you have a history of th things that you've done that you wish you wouldn't have done. Uh, I guess I'm the only one here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and sometimes you, your own, your own uh, sinfulness, your own stupidity seems kind of overwhelming. You know, Paul puts it this way, I was shown mercy, this is 1 Timothy 1.16, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Messiah might display his unlimited patience. You know, this is this Shaul, Rav Shaul, Paul of Tarsus, who traveled here, there, and everywhere talking about Yeshua. He knows what his life was like. And this is not one up disgustmanship, I'm more disgusting than you are. But it's, it's a, folks, it's a basic conviction knowing, you know, there are things about each one of us that if God was a severe taskmaster, harsh, he would be fully justified in nuking us. And this is particularly significant for us who are connected to what it is that God is doing with the nation of Israel. As you heard M Michael talking about earlier, 
Israel is a poster child of the mercy of God, folks. That is one of the reasons we spent, we've been spending so much time talking about it. Because if you understand the love of God for the nation of Israel, you will have a much stronger understanding of the love of God, period. Yes, we understand the love of God in that he sent Yeshua to die for us. That's, that's primary. But in the nation of Israel, folks, we see the love of God, the patience of God, the mercy of God, like we see no place else with anybody else. And just in case you wonder, sometimes people look at Israel and think, you know, they sinned, they rejected Yeshua, they, they're damned. Well, l let me play for you just for a nanosecond or two the history of the universal body of Messiah, the community of believers known as the church. Read church history sometime and see how stellar uh, it was uh, or not. And uh, it, 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 it will make the hair on the back of your head curl up when you read some of the things. So if God was committed to nuking Israel, he would have committed the fellow believers, the church. Part of what Paul is saying is somehow God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows what to do. He is not caught flat-footed like the rest of us. And even when it seems like the majority of people are going the wrong way, God still is able to work with a minority, with a remnant. The remnant in Israel, the remnant in the body of Messiah, the church. By the way, there have been a remnant throughout the last 2,000 years. And some of them were Jewish remnants, such as, uh, you know, St. Teresa. You may not know that she too was Jewish. And St. John the Divine, he also was Jewish. And there were others. Um, all that to say God works with a remnant. He is not, he is not limited to numbers. And part of what Paul goes on to say in verse 25 here in chapter 9, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my beloved one who is not my beloved one. And it will happen in that very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of God. Now, in case you are not familiar with Hosea, let me shock you here for a minute by saying that the story of Hosea is frankly gross. Um, and the word prostitute appears a whole bunch of times in Hosea and some of the other uh, prophets. Why? Because God wants to shock, wanted to shock the people of Israel and saying, do you realize how ugly you've gotten? You've, you have prostituted yourself by following other gods. Again, I have every right 
to throw you out, but somehow I'm going to find a way to bring about restoration. That to me, folks, is the amazing aspect of who God is. And all the prophets, you see these horrid warnings about if you don't turn, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. But somehow at the end of the day, God says, I will be able to come back and bring about restoration. In other words, the love that God has for us is awesome, but it's also coupled with awesome power. And this is often what people break their teeth over. They feel like either God is a loving God or he is a powerful God. He can be loving or powerful, but not both. And, and scripture says he is both. We may not fully understand all of that, but that's what scripture presents to us is who God is. In other words, he can work incredibly to bring about restoration where there is absolute mess. This is what Hosea says, in the very place where it was said to them, you're not my people, they will be called sons of God. In other words, in, in situations that are absolute mess, God is able to come, come around then and turn things for the good. Um, Isaiah speaks about that in chapter 61 where God can take the ashes and transform them into a crown of beauty. And so for us, when we see difficult circumstances, all we can see are the difficult circumstances. We're not aware of the mercy of God. We're not aware of the power of God that he can take those circumstances and flip them around and turn them for the good. And Paul speaks to the Gentile believers in Rome and he says to them, by the way, what God has been doing with Israel, he's doing with you guys. Yes, he loves Israel. Yes, he loves the nations. It's not either or, it's both and. We see earlier, uh, or actually later in Ephesians, Paul paints a very pathetic picture of what the Gentile pagans were like. He says, remember at one time you were separate from Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel, Foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Messiah. What he means is, Israel with all its faults at least had a basic knowledge of, of who God was and is. They had the, the scripture, the Torah, the prophets. The Gentile nations had no knowledge of God other than what, what is seen in creation and what they experience in their, in their conscience. And yet God has been able to take 
and do amazing things with the Gentile nations, just as he is at work with the people of Israel. God works mysteriously, miraculously, but lovingly, lovingly, folks. Because that is what defines who he is. If God has an option between justice and mercy, he will always opt for mercy. And that's something we have to embrace with both hands and both feet. And as we saw earlier, part of the picture is that God works in a way that is sovereign through all kinds of things. I love the analogy of the donkey because I, I sometimes feel like, okay, God, uh, you could use a donkey, ergo. It's very humbling. And you step back and say, God, I don't understand why you use me or what it is you're doing. I'm just grateful. I, I, I'm awed. I'm, I'm swept off my feet in a sense, knowing who it is that you are, that you're sovereign, that you're controlled, that you're loving, that you have the power. And that grounds us, folks. It grounds us, especially in difficult times. And I want to close just with the um, story of the memorial service that took place this past Tuesday, um, Larry Alpert's memorial. And you talk about difficult circumstance. For many of us who knew and loved Larry and who loved Tiffany, it was very, very difficult. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that was simple. Um, we prayed for Larry. Uh, we spent time visiting him and Tiffany. We had great hopes for Larry. Larry was an amazing individual. Gifted, loving, uh, had huge potential. And we prayed for that. We prayed that, that God would bring him out of the sickbed and bring him to a place where he was able to, not just to be walking, but to be productive, and, and, and productive as far as the work of the kingdom. God could have healed him easily. God chose not to. Uh, do we understand that? No, we don't. But I will tell this much. I can tell you that in the memorial service, God received all kinds of honor and glory. Because people went on and on about how wonderful Larry was and the loving father he was and the sharp, uh, uh, very uh, uh, sharp in a positive sense, a businessman he was. Um, and how he had true grit 
despite the fact that he was type 1 diabetic and the, despite the fact that he was a kidney recipient and so on and so forth, um, his, his sister was there, his kids were there, his business associates were there, um, long-time friends were there. And somehow through that, what came out is that towards the end of his life, Larry had an unshakable faith in who God is because he had this unbelievable experience with God. One-of-a-kind experience with God where God appeared to him in a way that I don't know if any of us experience, and he had this sweet, intimate relationship with God. And that came forth. And somehow, through all of it, God was in the spotlight. Yes, Larry was in the spotlight. He needed to be honored, but God was on the spotlight. And he was honored. Do we understand it? Do we necessarily agree with how God did things? No, of course not. But at the end of the day, we say, Lord, you're loving, you're merciful, you're sovereign, and we're grateful for the things we can see. And that's part of what the Word of God says to us. Life gets difficult sometimes. We get stretched we run out of answers. But at the end of the day, we say, okay, I, I know, Lord, you love me. You understand me. You're in control of my life. You have the power to work redemptively to bring about restoration. And that's where I want to be pointing my nose. So do we understand all of that? No. But we need to understand enough to say, God, um, I want to be available for what it is that you have. Let's pray. Lord God, we bless your name. We thank you. We are awed, Lord, by your patience and, and your chesed, your covenant loyalty towards us. We thank you, Lord, for how you work to pull back the curtains to reveal yourself to us. We bless you for that. We thank you, Lord God, that you reveal to us the truth about who you are and that you expose the lies. We thank you, Lord God, that you are merciful full of compassion. We pray, Lord God, for each one of us to have that become part of our DNA, our operating system. Lord God, that we would be secure in the knowledge of who we are as sons and daughters of yours. And that based on that, Lord God, that we would give ourselves, Lord God, to the furthering of your purposes and your honor and, and that, Lord God, that we would be eager to see you receive 
all kinds of credit, all kinds of honor that people would look and see you and be drawn to you in and through us. We ask all of this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.